Hello and welcome to this ENT Expert Opinion Series. My name is Niall Jefferson and today I'm down in Wollongong with Associate Professor Stuart Mackay. Our topic today is surgical management of the sleep apnea patient. Professor Mackay completed his training in otolaryngology and went on to perform postgraduate fellowship training with the late Sam Robinson and Professor Simon Carney in adult airway reconstructive surgery and head and neck surgery. He has returned to the Illawarra region, practices in general ENT with a specific interest in management of obstructive sleep apnea in those patients who have failed or rejected device use. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me again, Noel. Appreciate it. We've discussed a lot of the issues in relation to the assessment and medical management of adult obstructive sleep apnea in a previous podcast, and therefore uh, this may be referenced during today's podcast. To begin with, can you describe your standard management paradigm for surgical intervention in the sleep apnea patient? Once these patients have had the comprehensive uh, clinical assessment and polysomnographic workup and possible imaging, as we discussed in the previous podcast, uh, generally speaking, they would be encouraged to return to device use, so CPAP or mandibular advance and splint, or in some select cases, Provent or nasal EPAP. And with significant complications of device use or failed tolerance or compliance with device use, we'd then be discussing contemporary airway surgical protocols. As a general broad outline, although it cannot be applied to each individual patient, this would include pre-phase nasal surgery, which is designed to facilitate subsequent treatments, whether they be device, surgical um, or otherwise. And that pre-phase nasal surgery could include medical therapies as well, as discussed in the previous podcast. After pre-phase nasal surgery, phase one intervention might include a modified uh, lateral or supralateral velopharyngeal port opening technique uvuloplatofringoplasty with tonsillectomy uh, in an appropriate anatomical candidate. I will frequently uh, combine cobulation channeling or radiofrequency to the tongue in order to both improve the sleep disordered breathing and for the philosophy of reducing the potential for globus by separating out the free edge of the palate from the posterior third of the tongue. In the non-anatomically suitable candidate, phase one surgery might involve modified UPP combined with transpalatal advancement or other palatal surgery and tongue surgery. It specifically, the tongue reduction technique will depend upon clinical and possibly imaging assessment of the degree of uh, macroglossia or hypertrophy of the tongue and could range anywhere from simple cobulation channeling or radiofrequency right up to submucosal lingoplasty or an in-between operation which involves midline glossectomy and lateral cobulation or radiofrequency to the tongue as described in the Journal of Laryngology and Otology. Or it could involve a tongue tensing operation which in my particular hands is uncommon such as geniotubical advancement. And then subsequent phased surgical intervention might require revision palatal or revision tongue surgery, or if the patient had a tongue reduction operation, moving on to tongue tensing surgery or vice versa, or may involve referral to a dedicated maxillofacial unit for maxillomandibular advancement with or without high-sliding genioplasty. So those decisions are made after a comprehensive clinical uh, assessment and review of um, the investigations. 
So just to direct discussion to that physical assessment, at each level, are there specific things that you can look for that help you determine how likely you are to be successful with a surgical intervention? There, there are, and but this is the major question that relates to phenotyping and perhaps the, uh, the evidence we've presented in the literature, whilst it's replete with discussion, hasn't necessarily allowed everyone worldwide to draw conclusions about which patients should and should not get an operation. Having said that, certainly there are very much ideal candidates for surgery, young, fit patients with without a significant elevated body mass index who have moderate to significant tonsillar hypertrophy and a low sitting tongue and with awake fiber optic sleep maneuvers demonstrate significant tonsillar generated collapse are likely to be very, very good candidates for tonsillectomy combined with a modified variation of usual P and perhaps some channeling to the tongue, radiofrequency or coblation. And those patients are likely to have a reasonably successful outcome, which can be long-lasting, provided they don't go on to gain weight in the future. On the other hand, there might be those patients that appear to be anatomically inappropriate for that operation on initial inspection, and yet with the fibre optic examination awake or in the hands of those who perform sleep endoscopy, a sleep where there is some degree of tonsillar-generated collapse that can be stabilised with a limited operation. And then there are those that might be more suitable for other particular type of operations. For example, the patient who has previously had tonsillectomy and has a scarred retroposed palate with a reduced anteroposterior airway is likely to be more appropriate for a transpalatal advancement operation to improve the AP airway and also to open up the suprolateral velopharyngeal port by modifying the free edge of their palate with a, with a uvuloplate of fingerplasty. Uh, those patients with significant lingual tonsil hypertrophy, for example, would be good for lingual tonsil reduction uh, using suction diathermy or uh, coblation technology, either with a, a tonsillar gag and an angled scope or transorally with an angled scope or with my preferred technique, a Lindholm uh, laryngoscope. And then there are those patients who have significant tongue macroglossia or significant tongue collapse who might be more suitable for tongue reduction techniques or tongue tensing techniques although the majority of those uh, patients in my hands require an extensive operation and the patient has to have genuinely failed um, device trials and device use to be put into paradigms for those particular surgeries. Those operations, Niall, might be performed in a staged fashion or in a concomitant fashion depending upon detailed discussion with the patient. Are there poor prognostic anatomical features that you can look for? Just like, just as there are ideal candidates, as I mentioned, unfortunately, those ideal candidates might be few and far between in terms of the heterogeneity of this disorder. There are certainly those at the extreme who would be very poor surgical candidates, particularly those with massive macroglossia or grade four tongues, uh, those with very poor high arch palatal anatomy where it's difficult to perform procedures such as transpalatal advancement, uh, those patients who have uh, in particular, hypopharyngeal wall or lateral hypopharyngeal wall collapse, which is notoriously difficult to stabilise with surgical techniques. One would try to avoid operating on those patients wherever possible. Obviously, there are systemic factors that would reduce your uh, inclination to operate patients as well, particularly where you get patients over the age of 70, for example, where a large proportion of their cardiovascular risk from sleep apnea has already um 
potentially accumulated uh, and the impact of your surgery is less likely to be significant apart from for quality of life reasons after detailed discussion with the patient and obviously those patients with significant anaesthetic or other comorbidities that put them at risk from going through major airway reconstruction surgery. Are there then exclusion criteria in your hands? I think... uh, Probably the most common exclusion criteria is based on body mass index or the overweight patient. And the data that we have uh, is less supportive for airway surgery in those patients with body mass indices greater than 35. Obviously, the, the, the more normalised the weight, the, the more likely we are to get an improved or significant outcome for surgery. And the same or the corollary, corollary applies for those patients who have surgery but go on to gain weight in the future, they are likely to get um, their condition return. And so surgical options as the body mass index uh, increases generally um, are better placed in the hands of a gastric banding or bypass uh, surgeon, uh, again, under the auspices of a, uh, a sleep physician caring for the patient and subsequent evaluation of any residual disease. What then is the goal of surgery? The purpose of surgery in general, is to provide a salvage option for those patients who have failed or can't tolerate a device. And the goals are improvement in the eyes of the patient and improvement in the eyes of the clinician. Specifically, improvement in the eyes of the patient, hopefully improvement in their snoring, improvement in their sleep fragmentation and tiredness or sleepiness, and reduction of their cardiovascular risk are the key components. And then the objective goal is to also get improvement in their polysomnographic parameters. That discussion needs to be had with all patients undergoing this surgery, the difference between subjective and objective outcomes from surgery. How then do you counsel your patients in regards to expectations when it comes to surgery? It's very important as with other branches of ENT surgery for the patients to have realistic expectations about what can be achieved. The general understanding and philosophy is that surgery may provide a partial treatment or in some cases a total or near total treatment that once it is applied, it is applied all of the time uh, as opposed to device use which applies more, which uh, allows for more of a total treatment but may only be applied for part of the time or with which the patient may only be partially compliant and CPAP generally wins that argument as the gold standard therapy. Uh, but the patients have to recognise that most surgeries are unlikely to obliterate all of the patient's obstructive sleep apnea. However, we are aiming for significant improvement to the point where the patient is happy and where I am happy in terms of the outcome and subsequent to that long-term uh, at least 12-month and three-year follow-up to assess for any recrudescence of disease, particularly in the context of patients who gain weight. We've talked already about some of the more extensive options in relation to surgery. What is the role of things like pillar implants and uh, sclerosin injections? So sclerosin injections, pillar implants and palatal stiffening type techniques are usually uh, reserved to those patients with limited sleep disordered breathing, particularly the uh, the simple snorers or patients with mild apnea. In my particular hands, the use is limited uh, because I believe that modified U-triple-P techniques at the free edge of the palate 
even though the patient might not be the ideal anatomical candidate, are going to get a more successful outcome in my hands than performing stiffening procedures to the palate and don't add significant degree of morbidity unless tonsillar tissue is being removed where most of the pain and bleed risk comes from the tonsillectomy side of the operation. There are concerns uh, about um, pillar implants and potential uh, longevity of result and extrusion rate that need to be borne in mind. And the consideration also needs to be held that cheaper variations such as sodium tetradecasulfate infiltration or injection uh, or stiffening procedures may achieve just as adequate as an out outcome as pillar implants and be much less expensive to the patient. So there are, there are many considerations to um, bear in mind uh, for those interventions, but in my hands they have a limited role for the patient population that I see. What mistakes do you then see being made by the occasional sleep surgeon these days? I think probably the commonest mistake lies in the uh, in the assessment and the workup of the patient and uh, perhaps applying an operation that is not appropriate for the patient's anatomy and dynamic degree of collapse is probably the commonest um, mistake that would be made. However, as we modify techniques away from a, an ablative and scarring type approach to a reconstructive type approach, uh, certainly um, the general ENT surgeon can learn these techniques, reassure the patient that they're unlikely to have significant uh, complication from a, a limited reconstructive technique and they can still go on to have further um, stage surgery if required without in appropriate hands, without impairing the ability to return to device use as was previously the case with operations such as laser-assisted utricle P that would create significant scarring, um, develop um, complications and then reduce the ability of subsequent use of CPAP. What then is success in, in surgery? I think that's the million-dollar question and it's a very difficult question to answer. Personally, I don't like to necessarily utilise the term success. Really, we're aiming for improvement, uh, improvement in the eyes of the patient, improvement in the eyes of the surgeon, and hopefully improvement in objective parameters as well, uh, and subsequent long-term follow-up or other treatment modalities discussed in detail with the patient. One thing that I should mention in the discussion of, of weight that we've talked about, uh, impairing our potential success or improvement rate, is that I think where weight loss is likely to come in a small degree from the surgery in the initial couple of weeks prior to the patient's return to normal diet, this should be looked upon favourably by the clinician and the patient and uh, and we should be looking at maintaining the weight there and continuing to lose it. So there is no harm in concomitant weight loss or exercise physiologist input to those patients undergoing surgery in order to enhance the result or outcomes from surgery. What's the future for sleep surgery? I think the future for sleep surgery is to continue on a vein of reconstructive approaches rather than ablative approaches. There probably needs to be guided approaches to improve tongue tensing operations and the longevity of tongue tensing op operations, potentially um, hyoid expansion or lateral hypopharyngeal wall collapse um, techniques to reduce the risk of uh, aspiration that occurs with hyoid type procedures. I believe that palatal operations have improved significantly to the extent where in many cases we can actually sort patients out very well at that level. Uh, by combining a modified utricle P technique with or without a transplatal advancement. In the majority of cases, they can do very favourably with those operations. 
there is a potential future for hypoglossal nerve stimulation and there are at least um, uh, a couple of centres looking at the future in that regard, although one of them has met some, some barriers. And so the horizon, I think, is, is looking at modifying or improving our techniques in the future to reduce complication risk and complication profile. But as with anything in adult obstructive sleep apnea treatment, it's a heterogeneous disease. Nobody has all of the answers and we need all, we all need each other's help. The sleep physician, the sleep surgeon, the dentist, the maxillofacial surgeon, the weight loss expert, the sleep psychologist. A multidisciplinary team is, is the future of uh, sleep apnea management. Thanks very much, uh, Professor Mackay. That was a great discussion. Um, normally we do a final word, which is a bit of a wrap up, but I, since you've kind of just done that, uh, <laughs> but nicely. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll end this discussion here. Thanks very much for your time, unless there's something else you'd like to say. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That's fine. <laughs> this has been another podcast in the ENT Expert Opinion series. You can find us online at Facebook, follow us on Twitter, also download the uh, podcast for free on iTunes. And, of course, we can be found at entexpertopinion.com. Thanks for joining me.